0: I want to welcome you to this second week of the series that we were just calling Disconnect to Reconnect. You know, our theme for the year has been um, this word, Reconnect, and it was a the theme of Emily and I's time away and our sabbatical. And I want to talk to you uh, this morning about something that we tried to disconnect from to make our reconnection process better. Um, I'm going to kind of preface this with saying that this message is not a new message for some of you who have been with us for several years now because you, a while back I did a series, a uh, four part series on technology. Um, but I wanted to revisit something just because uh, if you're like me, um, I forget what I ate for breakfast yesterday. Um, but this is the topic I want to talk about this morning is something. Um, that I feel need to be, needs to be revisited revis- occasionally, although I may not revisit this exact message again like I did this morning. I've made some tweaks to it. I try not to repeat myself uh, in the same way, but we have enough new people, and this is a, a, um, uh, a topic that I think needs some revisiting here. So to begin this message this morning, I do want us uh, to kind of have some fun, and I just want to ask you some questions about these images here. So, Would you rather have this, you see this kind of dinner going on, this family dinner here with all these devices uh, at the table, or would you rather have this? Now, if any of you have kids or an actual family, it never looks like this, no matter how good the food is or how, like, you know, I've got three kids and so usually one's standing up on their table spilling all the drink. And then the other is like wiggling around, and I've got one, he just walks around and eats, right, around the dinner table. So it never actually looks like this, um, but we are kind of a device. We are a device-free family when it comes to dinner time, and we do try to have family dinners together. Just know if you are an expecting parent um, or are starting to have kids or just think like it should look like this. It never really does. But um, would you rather, right, have the first one or this one? What about this? (laughs) <laughs> right? You, you laugh. It's funny, right? Because it's true. Would you rather have this, right? Or this? What about this next one? Would you rather have this? A group of friends sitting around table having coffee together enjoying one another? Or this? Right, And this last one here to have some fun, would you rather be doing this or this? The reason I show you that last one there is because this week, we just got home last week and um, I hadn't mowed yet and the guy who had been mowing my yard was a guy named Eric Werbecki. He's sitting, where did you go, Eric? Over here. And he had mowed my yard while we were gone and he got his lawnmower out the other day and his grass didn't even look like it needed to be mowed. So I'm like yelling at him, why are you mowing your grass? So he walks over and starts to talk to me and he's like, yeah, I think you need to mow your grass. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, you know what? You're right, I guess I do. Um, I need to mow my grass. So I go get my lawnmower, I start to get my lawnmower out and Eric proceeds to take my kids and his kids for a bike ride while I mow the grass. <laughs> I felt like Tom Sawyer when he handed Ben the, the paintbrush there. This morning, what I want us to do, here's what we're going to do, is we're going to basically look at a theology of technology, and then we're just going to ask ourselves some questions, how we can use our technology better, namely our, our cell phones. I'm not really going to talk about our lawnmower. Our lawnmower is a piece of technology. Technology is simply just a tool that we use in creation to hopefully cultivate God's creation and even make our lives better, but that's not always the case. So I want us to think about these little things that we keep in our pocket here and that probably most of us are addicted to, and I'm going to turn this off right now since I have this up here with me because somebody will call me during this message if I do not. I used to have that happen all the time in student ministry, if they saw I had my cell phone on me. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis 1, Genesis 1 beginning in verse 26. Uh, I just want to show you something here when it comes to technology and our understanding of it. This is Genesis 1, 26, and this is God creating us. So then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over all the livestock and over all the earth and over every, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so I highlighted make here for you uh, what we discover is in the Bible that we are created in God's image. And we discover this after God has basically made and created everything, he then makes us. And he says, I'm going to make people, Adam and Eve, I'm gonna make humanity, that's what Adam stands for, in my image. Well, what we discover at the very beginning in Genesis is that God is creator, that God is maker, that he cultivates, that he does things, that he creates things, he breathes things into existence. He He takes things and he makes them new, he arranges them. He, he uh, uh, plants a seed and it grows, like whatever that might be. And then we discover that we're made in his image and that's loaded with a lot of different implications. But one of the implications that that entails is that we too are makers, that we too are creators, that we take what we see in creation and we fashion them into tools or technology and then we use that tool, those tools or technology to cultivate creation, hopefully to better it, to better our lives, to build up in the garden in uh, this instance, or to build out in the city, or to do whatever we do in our lives we are going to make, or we are going to use technology. The problem that we discover as we continue in basically the history of the world is that we don't always use our technology for the right things. We don't always use them for the best things. Technology was given to us, or the ability to do technology, the ability to make was given to us for God's good purposes. To give life, but often we use it to take life. God gives us the ability to create, to do different things, so that we would bring people together, but often we are discovering that we are now using technology to isolate people or to isolate ourselves. And so technology was given to us, or the ability to create technology was given to us for our benefit, but we also often use it for our detriment. And so we have a history, just the human history, just you can just look at it and you feel it, probably even within yourself, that this thing that was given to us often uh, that we want to use to bring ourselves together um, ends up separating or isolating us as we look at the rest of the story and the sin that is going to enter into the garden which is kind of where we need to move on to here so if you know the story what happens is that God gives Adam and Eve this ability to create we are we are image bearers in the sense that we are creators that we are makers like him but we are also told not to eat of the fruit of the tree of good and evil knowledge of good and evil but we do that so satan shows up and we do that and the world is corrupted right sin enters into the world and um, corruption enters into creation so this ability is then corrupted and these tools that were primary or the ability to create tools that we want to use for good and godliness not now are not always going to be used for Good and godliness or godly behavior. And so in Genesis 3, skipping over to Genesis 3, uh, verses 7 through 10, we see this. We see, we, we, we see the way that Adam and Eve behave here after the fall. Then the eyes of both were opened. So this is after they ate the fruit. And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and they made. So there's this idea that they are making right now themselves loincloths. So what we have happening here. Is that Adam and Eve sin? They go against God's wishes, and immediately, what do they then try to do? They create, right? They do technology. They begin to make. They actually do the thing that they were created to do, and they begin to fashion for themselves clothes. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with clothes. I'm glad that all of you are wearing clothes right now. It's it's a good thing. It has practical purposes. You would. Be cold if you didn't have clothes on. All right? Some of you are making a statement today for our picture, or you wanted to look a certain way for the picture that we are about to take. All of that is good. It's not bad. So there's a practical reason for clothes. But now watch what Adam and Eve are doing with theirs, though. What, look at what they're trying to do with their new technology that they discovered that they needed after the fall. And they heard the sound of the Lord and the, gar- the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God, or the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And Adam said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So Adam and Eve had this opportunity to use technology Uh, for good or for whatever they might use it for in this instance. But instead, what they are going to use it for is to hide from God. They realize that in front of this holy God in this situation that they are sinners and they're carrying this shame around for disobeying God. And so they fashion clothes. You kind of wonder what it looks like maybe, but I I don't know. But they, they fashion clothes to cover themselves up. But they are covering themselves up so that they don't have to be near God so they don't have to be in the presence of God so that they can hide from God so they the very first use of technology that we see human beings making in the garden is actually a piece of technology to keep themselves away from God and the truth is is that you can do the same if you're not careful with technology that you can use it to hide from God you can use it to hide You can use it to stay away from things or people or places that would be good for you. Cain and Abel are Adam and Eve's children. In that story, uh, Abel is a farmer. He's a shepherd, is what he is. And so he kind of shepherds um, sheep. And uh, it comes time to give God a sacrifice and to go to worship God and Abel takes his sacrifice to the Lord and he sacrifices his sheep to God and God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice. He has a brother named Cain. Cain is described as a worker of the ground. So he's actually described as a a gardener, the same as Adam is described as. Adam is a gardener and so Cain has kind of taken over the family business And that way or the family trade whatever it might be and so he's working the ground and he goes and takes his sacrifice to God and God rejects his sacrifice and if you read the story it's kind of a weird story it's like okay why does God receive Abel's sacrifice but he doesn't receive Cain's we're told that Abel's is kind of the first and the best but we're not really left out if Cain's wasn't, and and it's a weird story as you're just kind of reading through Genesis, and you're trying to figure out, like, what is going on here? Why does God choose Abel's and not Cain's? And if you know the story, what happens is Cain gets really jealous of Abel and God receiving Abel's offering, but rejecting Cain's offering, and it doesn't describe God as a, uh, a meat eater only and not a vegetarian, just in case you're wondering that, But later on in the Bible, we're given a little more information, kind of what what was probably passed down through generations and kind of tradition, at least understanding this, partially in Hebrews 11.4. And we're told this, it was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. And Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gift. And so in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews tells us that Cain comes out of faith. Cain comes, or excuse me, Abel comes out of faith, and what I believe that this shows us is that as Abel comes to God and he gives his offering, Abel is coming gladly to God, believing that God wants to accept his gift, that God is good, and wanting to be in God's presence and among God, and so God accepts this. Abel is not trying to hide anything from god or his best or anything like that but he's coming to god as a faithful person in faith which makes him righteous in and of itself and god accepts that offering and so maybe we're just left cain comes in a different all altogether different attitude i've got to give this to god i really don't want to be in his presence i really don't want to be under his authority i i really don't believe that he is good but i need to give this to him because maybe i'm afraid of him i need to give this to him because it's just time for me to come at this point in time in my life and be in his presence for a moment, but it's not something I really enjoy. It's not something that I really want to do. And so God, and so Cain gives him that offering. But when he finds out that his brother Abel, is, uh, his offering is accepted and his is not, he becomes jealous. He kills his brother. And what we're told, right, this is like real deep biblical theology here, is this, that we should not be like Cain. <laughs> Who murdered his brother. Cain's heart, obviously, was not where it should be. God doesn't accept his offering, and Cain killed his brother. So what happens to Cain in the story? What happens to Cain? Chapter 4, verses 12 and 14 of Genesis, as the story continues. When you work the ground, so as you cultivate the ground, as you do what you were actually supposed to do, as God commanded you to do, it shall no longer yield to you its strength you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer highlight wanderer if you're reading along in your bible on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away. You've driven me today away from the ground and from your watch this from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Just remember this. I mean feel the anxiety here that he is feeling at this point in time i mean he feel he's being driven away from his family he's being driven away from his where he grew up you know friends at this point in time everything he's being driven away and then he's got this fear that everybody outside of this area is going to kind of be after him like this intense anxiety that cain has then cain went away from the presence of the lord so he's moving away from the presence of the lord and settled and the land of Nod. The land of Nod means the land of wondering. That's what Nod means. It's another word for wonder is Nod. East of Eden. So you have the Garden of Eden here. The Garden of Eden is perfection. The Garden of Eden was where God placed Adam and Eve, and it's just this other metaphor for paradise. And you have Cain now who is going to be hidden from the presence of the Lord. So what his parents tried to do, they tried to hide from God, he actually is going to be done from him in the way because of the way that he approached God in this manor, manner, and he's going to be a wanderer. What does that mean? He's not going to have any peace. He's going to be kind of wandering around. He's going to live in the city of wonder, wandering, and he's going to be east of Eden. So he's getting away from this place that is a metaphor for the goodness and presence of God. And so Cain is going to miss out on God's presence. He's going to miss out on God's goodness. He's going to be dealing with a ton of anxiety. Why? Because of the choices he made and where his heart was before God to begin with. Now, a close reader would read this and go, wait a second, what is going on here? Cain is both a wanderer and a settler. So he's going to wonder but he's settling. Those two things don't seem to go together, do they? So which is it? Is he somebody who's going to kind of just wander around, or is he going to settle somewhere? What does that mean? Well, he does settle. He builds a city. He and his descendants, they build a city. They're going to build a city in the land of Nod. And so what we discover as you read through the Scriptures, especially early on, Uh, as you see people interacting in the cities, cities are basically places that do not honor God. They are places of uh, moral decay. They are places basically where people try to ignore God. The Tower of Babel is one of the first cities that we see doing this when they are trying to ascend to God themselves, believing that they can become like God in those ways, and so they're gonna build up to God and so forth. That's one of the things that we discover. John Dyer pastor and theologian he has this to say about what um, uh, let, me, let me back up and let me show you this so you can actually see it here um, and I want to tell you what John Dyer has to say about all this so here's what we see Cain knew his wife so he settled and he's going to have a wife and she conceived and bore, e, bore Enoch and when he built a city he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch to Enoch was born Irad and Irad fathered so-and-so, so so it goes on, Adah and bore Jabul, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jabul, and he was the father of all those who play the lyre in the pipe. Zillah also bore Tabul Cain, he was the forger of all the instruments of bronze and iron. And so what, we, what you see here is you see them settling. You see them settling in the land of Nod, and you see them building up a city. Cities stand for basically moral decay, places and people that are trying to ignore God or become like God and replacing God basically with the technology that they are using. And so this is where I want to show you what John Dyer helped show me as I was reading through this and studying this. And he says what these people are doing is that they are busying themselves doing basically three things. Basically three things all civilized people do, by the way. They're going to farm because they need to eat. They're going to do art. We are creative people. We are made in the image of God. We look around creation. Isn't it a beautiful place often at times? And so we as people we are also artists and they're making metal tools and so they're making technology to help cultivate everything that they do and our image flows through this this is part of being made in the image of God but John Dyer points out rightly so the reason that they are doing it though is not so that they can draw closer to God but because they are trying to distract themselves from God and the truth is is that we use technology right now in the same ways we really do. We use our technology not just to hide ourselves from God, but often to distract ourselves from the goodness of God. And we see it in the scriptures, and we can be like Adam and Eve, where we try to hide, or we can be like Cain, and we can try to distract ourselves from the goodness of God and what he'd have us to do with our technology. And So now that we're at this point where we kind of have a theology of technology here, And how it can be used or how it can't be used it can be used for good or it can be used to distract ourselves or it can be used to hide from God I just want to ask you this question this is I was actually curious about this this morning when I was thinking about it and just be honest right just curious like who feels like they are addicted to this right now here's a real question this is really how I wanted to ask it who Really, I mean, you're right. there's no shame in this. Like, let's just be like, if this is this is a real question, who's not addicted to this? That's kind of that's pretty good. Yeah, like who, when this is set down somewhere, like you're not wondering what's going on with this thing, right? I mean, that's what I mean by that. Like, who does it? It's not like got a magnet on it or something. I, I think I think a majority of people anymore are addicted to these things like it's become part of them and so I just want to ask a series of questions this morning and I'm asking these questions um, not to shame you in any way I'm not interested in that but simply to allow us to think about this really incredible piece of technology that God has given us in a godly way and hopefully to make good and godly changes in your life that will allow it to be used for your good and not your hindrance. And so let me ask you this question. I'm gonna go through kind of a series of relationships here and see if it's helping or hindering you. How is this helping or hindering your relationship with God? Do you feel more connected with God because of your phone or less? Or maybe apathetic, like maybe the phone has nothing to do with my relationship with God. Perfectly fine. That's a good place to be. But like when you get up in the morning, is your first thought, I need to see who called or texted or emailed me, right? Or is it God? Is it, Lord, what do you have for me today? Lord, what would you have me to do today? Lord, what's your word say? Helping or hindering your relationship with the Lord. What about your spouse, if you're married? Let me ask you this. Would you rather have this? Or, I can't show that. Some of you know the reality of what I just showed there, right? It's really easy. So one of the reasons I'm doing this, by the way, is one of the commitments that Emily and I made during our sabbaticals, we were not going to be on these all the time. So we set boundaries for these. These no longer come. This no longer goes beside my bed. We have docking devices in the kitchen for mine. Emily's is in an outlet away from the bed like these do not come with us in those spaces. Right? Uh, and, so, and I'm going to talk about the kids too. But one of the things that we learn in the fall is that Adam and Eve find themselves without any clothes on and they look at each other and now they're ashamed. They look at their spouse and now they're ashamed and they're going to hide from God together. And I think what many of our spouses are doing right now is that we are using this from, to hide from one another. We, we are supposed to be intimate in a lot of different ways, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually, and these have taken that over. And we no longer have conversations that we would have. We no longer look at each other in the eye like we should look at each other, and we avoid things that we should not avoid because we want to see how other couples are doing. And it's really dangerous. And you may stay together for your entire life, but think about the quality of that kind of marriage. Is this making you feel more or less connected? Don't miss out on the goodness God has for you because of this thing. What about your friends? What about your friends? Uh, Really interesting thing is, so, and Adam and Eve's, in the creation story, we see that Eve is taken from Adam's side. And so she's taken out of Adam's side and she's basically set beside him. And he says that she is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bones. And Adam is taken out of the ground. And so what you have is this kind of very organic relationship there. Like they're kind of a one flesh, they're taken out of the ground, like they're connected in a way that's very, very personal and and, and very deep. And so God, in the marriage relationship, there's this idea um, that you're interconnected in that way, but I I believe that you're interconnected, like humanly speaking, in that way as well, that we all need to be close to each other, and so God, out of the story, um, he basically says, by the way, he says everything is good up until this point. The fall has not happened before he says this, but he looks at Adam, and he says it's not good for man to be alone, and so then he creates Eve out of Adam. And so they're like there's this one fleshness there. And so there's this idea that flesh should be close to other flesh. That should happen in a marriage, but I also think that should happen with friendships. Like we are designed to touch one another. We are designed to see one another. We are designed to be in proximity with one another. And we need that. You need, to, you need friends. You need people that you can see. You need people that you can touch. You need people that will pat you on the back when you're having a difficult time. Like, that, that, is what, that is what you need. Now, contrast that with the story of Cain. Cain is about to go start a city. God says you're going to go start a city. In other words, like you are going to be around a bunch of people. Think about that for a second. But he says, I'm going to be a wanderer. Not only that, like you can feel his deep anxiety. I'm going to be around all these people, but what I actually am going to feel is I'm going to feel like they want to kill me. (laughs) I'm not going to feel like these people love me or want me around them or anything like that. Like there's this deep anxiety in Cain as he's around all of these people. And I, I tell you that, here's where I'm going with this. And since 2008, uh, most studies have shown that we are much more anxious than we have ever been as a society. Much more anxious than we have ever been. The average teenager, since 2008, this is the average teenager, is more anxious than the typical psychology patient in the 1950s. Since the advent of the smartphone. (laughs) <laughs> and, you, like, you read, basically, right, so why is that? Well, one of the big ideas is we are less socially connected. We are not more. And handing this to somebody, whether they're a teenager or an adult, does not make them more connected. It actually, studies show, it makes them more disconnected. It's, it's crazy, Right. Now you're thinking I just hate iphones. Singles. Right. Singles. Don't don't spend your life feeling like you're wandering. Yeah. Spend time with friends. If uh, you want to get married, if you want a date, right? don't wander. Put yourself out there. I'm just trying to give you permission, motivate you a little bit if that's what you want to do. There's nothing wrong with being single. Jesus was single till his death. Right? It's, there's nothing wrong with that. But don't be afraid. Don't hide behind this. Right? Don't allow this to be an excuse. I lived with a guy, fantastic guy, um, and it wasn't his phone. He wasn't addicted to his phone. He was addicted to the PlayStation 40-plus hours a week on it but would also complain about not having a girlfriend I'm like dude you're not going to find her on call of duty like (laughs) you know like I'm not against like finding like like online dating like it's real we there's people in our church who met each other like through like an online dating website like cool with that but get off the website at some point right you can do it God wants you to do it it's okay to put yourself out there and you're going to fail sometimes just don't, just don't wander. Don't, don't get to that place where you just feel like that. Have faith. Like, able. Be bold. And then parents, I ask you this question. Right? Are you hiding from your children? Okay. Like, I had this vision this morning while I was praying through this. I had this vision of me, like, looking at my phone, answering text messages, or reading the latest news feed. And my son, who is seven years old right now, like him being seven, and then me looking up at him, as an adult. wondering what I missed. You ever thought about that? This can be strong. We can miss out on so much. Be careful. Don't miss out on enjoying shaping the people that God has given you. Miss out on being with the people that God has given you to be with. Don't work to make the community or your workplace or everything better while ignoring the people that God has given you that are right in front of you that are your greatest investment, your family, your friends, your children. Be careful. As we look at the scriptures and some of what we've seen this morning i think there are two distinct choices that we can make and we need to see a contrast of what happens with the story of cain and the stories of adam and eve how the story of adam and eve actually ends and then even a child that they have after abel is murdered and so I want to show you here kind of the back end of the story of Adam and Eve, and this is before Cain and Abel ends. It says, then the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And so Adam names Eve Eve. The idea behind this is that from Eve, life is supposed to happen. Like Eve is supposed to give birth to life. That was God's goal for humanity. That was God's goal for Eve. And so God is, I think he's very pleased with Eve's name because she's the mother of all living and God is for life. Like he's for us doing and enjoying his creation and the goodness that is there. And the Lord God made, watch this. So God, so Adam and Eve made for themselves clothing, right, to cover themselves up and to hide from God. God comes back to them and watch what God does. God says, I'm going to make for Adam and his wife Garments of skins and clothes. So God comes to them. He looks at their clothes and goes, uh-uh. That's not working. right? That's not good enough. Right? That ain't going to keep you warm. <laughs> that, that's not going to work. And God gives them an upgrade here. He's not against the technology. He's not against them covering themselves up at this point. He knows they're going to need, need to. What God is against is him using them using that technology to ignore him and to hide from him and not to be close to him. Now, watch this. God uses technology to give life. God wants to use it to give life. There's this last part I want to show you because I want to contrast Cain and Abel with this last son. To Seth, also was born a son. Seth is Adam and Eve's son after Cain. And Abel, so they have another son. And his name was called Enosh. And at that time, the people began to call on the name of the Lord. And so Cain is a wanderer. You see in his story, he's moving away from God. Then there's Seth. Seth and his sons, in contrast to Cain and his sons, are going to call on the name of the Lord. They want to be in the presence of the Lord. They want to move closer to God. So we're not told all the things that we did. If you continue to read the Bible, you can continue to find out some of that, but we know that they are calling on God for help. And this morning, this is what's difficult about a passage like this and you all know that i'm not always in for just like telling you what to do because i don't think that's really what the bible prescribes i don't think it's a always because of this do this sometimes it is but really we have to work these things out within our relationship with the lord like and i'm just going to believe that the holy spirit maybe just bringing ideas to you like what kind of changes do i need to make with this what kind of changes do i need to make in my relationship with the god with the lord to make sure that i am moving closer to him that i am setting time aside to call on the name of the lord what choices can you maybe start to make right now and i think this is a really important time for us to think about that because uh, for those of us who our lives often still kind of revolve around the school system our lives are getting busier as our kids are going off to school or maybe they're changing a little bit so our routines are changing and and so you have to make sure that you're putting things into your life to make sure that you are maintaining that relationship with the lord so what choices are you going to make to do that if your phones are distracting you really simple choice like what are you going to do about it if it's taking you away from the lord if it's taking you away from uh, your relationship with people who are close to you like make some changes you don't have to have this on you all the time you don't have to respond to every text message immediately you don't they used to not exist like 10 years ago 15 i don't know i'm getting old but right like you didn't have to get back right away at one point in time like it's okay and if you aren't experiencing the goodness of god because the way you use technology or your phone What are some things you can go out and start doing to experience the goodness of God with the people of God that God has given you? Those are some questions to just think about and pray about this morning. I I hope you don't walk away from here this morning feeling shame. That's not the point of any of this. God wants you to just use this and any piece of technology that you have for good. Think about this as an opportunity Right? For you maybe to make some changes or some choices that will make your life better, because God wants to make your life better in this way. This is an area of your life that God wants to give you life in, not take it, not make you feel guilty. I certainly don't want to do that. So let's pray. Father, we pray that, Father, we pray and give thanks that we know that although we don't always use our technology that we have for good, that you forgive the ways that we have been using them, using it if we are trying to hide or distract ourselves. I pray, Father, that you would help us just to bring to mind and put into our lives systems or things or people that would help us to focus on you and what you would have to us for us. I pray that you would help us to start taking steps that we might need to take just to better our lives, to live with people that you've given us to love, to encourage, to care for, maybe even correct sometimes. I pray that however we use our technology, whether it be our phones, computers, TVs, that you would help it to give us life, not to drain it. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Although when Cain and Abel were around, the iPhone would have been some type of magical device. That we see in your word that we see our nature. We see that we haven't changed a lot. We see that we have a lot of the same struggles, a lot of the same proclivities. And that you give us your word to teach us about ourselves, where our hearts are. And so, Father, we pray that you would search us and know us. And now that you would help us. That you would help free from any addictions that we might have. And That you would free us to life and relationships that are much better experienced in person or in the flesh than even on screens. I pray, Father, as a pastor and as a church that uses technology to reach people and to stay connected to people, that we do give you thanks for the technology that we have and the way that it does keep us connected, and that you would help us to also manage, organize, and understand how to use, whether it be our phones, our computers, our cameras that we have in here, and everything else to bring you glory and to do good for other people. We know that we will not always get this right, but we pray, Father, that our hearts will be. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.